Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Catherine Van Zippel, the stories-based podcast that interviews professionals, donors, and thought leaders in the field of fundraising. Arjuna Solutions uses behavioral economic modeling and AI services to help leading nonprofits lift their direct response fundraising by an average of 12%. Arjuna's simple-to-adopt services improve giving over a donor's lifetime without the nonprofit having to change fundraising practices or staffing. To learn more about how you can sustainably increase your nonprofit's fundraising, please visit www.arjunasolutions.com. This week, I talk with Colin Stewart, the former EVP and current member of the advisory board at Arjuna Solutions. I learned several new terms from Colin, such as the nonprofit starvation cycle and a donor's giving elasticity. Arjuna inspires nonprofits to work smarter, not harder. I know that's a cliche term, but it is so true in this case. Colin talks about the algorithm Arjuna uses to determine annual giving asks for large databases and how to look at donors as long-term supporters from the annual giving lens. This is a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. But before we get started, let's learn more about Colin. Colin's a nonprofit industry veteran who has spent his career helping the nation's leading organizations adopt new technologies, reach new audiences, and create deeper relationships with their supporters to raise more money and deliver on their missions. Colin was Arjuna's EVP Strategic Partnerships and Philanthropy, leading their groundbreaking philanthropic practice, which enabled nonprofits to adopt new technologies and increase revenue more easily via philanthropic funding. Prior to joining Arjuna, Colin led the nonprofit group at Merkel, where he led a team that raised over $160 million from 2.6 million unique donors annually for the leading nonprofit organizations in the country. He also served as managing director for Blue State Digital. He's proud to have worked with some of the leading nonprofits and brands in the world, including the American Cancer Society, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, Harvard University, the NAACP, American Express, Apple, and the Green Bay Packers. He's been a guest lecturer at Harvard Kennedy's School Institute of Politics. Colin resides in Washington, D.C. with his wife and two children. Now let's get started. Hi, Colin. Welcome to The Debrief. Thanks, Catherine. Great to be here. Where are you talking to us from? I am talking to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right near the zoo. So sometimes at night I can hear the lions and the tigers roaring at each other, actually. Really? Yeah, it's that uh, sounds scary. Uh, you know, they're you know we're pretty sure they're not going to get out, so it's it's more comforting than scary. But you know, if we if we have any incidents, uh, you'll read about it on the news probably. Do I see philanthropy revolution behind you? You do. Yeah, uh, I, I've I've had some engagement with Lisa Greer. I really enjoyed the book. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm one of her acolytes, if you will. Lisa was on the podcast. So if anyone's listening, this is another former guest that Colin has her book. So the world just keeps getting smaller, but it's great. That's right. That's right. Cool. Cool. Great to have you. You know, we've spent a lot of time 
over the last several months talking about innovation. And I think that your company in some ways, in many ways, is a continuation of that conversation. So let's start with the brass tacks and learn about the AI services that Arjuna offers, as well as what brought you to Arjuna. We use artificial intelligence and behavioral economics to help personalize communications and direct response fundraising that helps nonprofits raise more money. What that means is we help figure out, among other things, exactly how to ask, how much to ask each individual donor uh, that optimizes and maximizes the lifetime value to the organization. So the example I always use, Catherine, is let's say you and I are both Boys and Girls Clubs of America supporters, and we donate to them in direct mail, let's say. Now, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people donate to Boys and Girls Club of America in direct mail or in email or in telemarketing. How do you figure out what the right amount to ask each individual donor is when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands or millions, right? And I know this for a fact because I used to one run one of the larger nonprofit fundraising agencies out there called Merkel. And what they do is typically they do some kind of fancy math. They use RFM modeling, recency frequency monetary uh, modeling to figure out at a segment level that Catherine, you and I maybe are around the same age. Maybe we live in similar areas. Maybe we've given similar amounts in the past. So they're going to ask people who look like you and me, maybe not physically, but look like us on paper for a similar amount, right? But the reality is, Catherine, that you and I both have very unique relationships to Boys and Girls Club of America. I use that example because I support the organization. I love the organization. They're not a current client, just (laughs) just as a disclosure. Although if you're listening, we'd love to work with you, Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, why not? Um, Put that out there. But the reality is, Catherine, maybe you attended a Boys and Girls Club, or maybe you have volunteered at one, or maybe your kids went there, or maybe you have, or not maybe, you definitely have a different relationship with Boys and Girls Club than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, because we look alike through you know, the, the segmentation that is standard today, they might ask us both for the same amount of money. The reality is, you're giving elasticity, this is where the behavioral economics comes in, the highest level that you're willing to give is different than mine for all of those reasons, uh, all those uh, the, uh, unique reasons that make those, those relationships uh, special. So maybe the Boys and Girls Club should be asking me for $90 because that's my highest level, that uh, my giving elasticity And they should be asking you for $275 because you have a higher affinity for the organization. So what our combination of uh, unsupervised machine learning and reinforcement learning does, coupled with behavioral economics, is we figure out over a period of time the optimal amount to ask each individual donor that maximizes his or her lifetime value with the organization. And what that materializes in is across our clients, on average, about a 10% increase in revenue over the first year of use. And then, you know, what gets interesting for this conversation, I'm sure we'll explore it, for every dollar invested in our services, we deliver about $3 in revenue back to the organization that we work with. So, you know, if you were to invest $50,000 in a pilot, we would, on average, deliver about $150,000 in revenue back to the organization. 
long answer, but I was trying to give you some detail there about how we work with organizations. No, I'm glad you did. And it's, it's so fun to talk with you because my personal work is all about one-to-one relationships and right, right. shorter lists. So I am historically very wary of using AI to make these decisions, but you're kind of getting me to come around here. I mean, you can't sit with thousands of names and go through and make guesses. I mean, no, as, I, as I tell people, like, you know, when we're, when I'm trying to distinguish between direct response fundraising and what you do, we just, there aren't that many lunches we could go to. Right? <laughs> yeah. We can't take everybody. Right. We can't, I can't take a million people out to lunch to figure that, figure right. out what their relationship is. For a long time, you used some fancy math and made some smart guesses and they were informed, but they were, uh, you know, not at the individual level. And now artificial intelligence enables us to figure out at each individual level what the right amount to ask is without taking them out to lunch. Right. Tell us the story of one of the early donors who made the yeah. of 100K. So, yeah, this is a story, and I'll give you a little bit of context, listeners, for this. So this is, I was telling Catherine about this when we were getting to know each other. So I talked about this model or this return, right? For every dollar so invested cool. in our services, we deliver $3 back. And this is actually, you know, we work obviously with nonprofits to help them raise money at a mass market level in direct response. We've also developed this really interesting and innovative model of helping philanthropists and major donors multiply the impact of their existing giving. And I'll explain what that means. And, and this is where this story comes into play. This was several years ago, a major donor, a high net worth individual in your city of, of New York City was uh, sitting down to one of those lunches, right? With a major gift officer for an organization he supports. And like any good major gift officer, Captain, you know this better than me, uh, that individual gift officer was asking this donor to increase the size of his gift, which is your job, right? Uh, to figure out how to get, get major donors to give more. And uh, this gentleman, this philanthropist, successful business person, knew about Arjuna, and he, you know, had knew uh, about our offering and our value proposition. And he said to the gift officer, "You know, it's not my budget or my strategy to donate more." And he typically would make a six-figure gift, about a hundred thousand dollars. However, there's this company, Arjuna Solutions. It's this fundraising technology company. If they do what they claim to do, which is deliver $3 back for every dollar invested, I, uh, why don't I give you $100,000 in the form of Arjuna services? And you can use those services in your direct response fundraising to you know, raise more money. And that 100K gift, instead of my 100K leading to you to have 100K, which is all well and good. That's the traditional model. That 100K enabled, you know, a multiplying impact of, of his gift. And, he, you know, it left that particular nonprofit with $300,000 of resources to put towards their mission they wouldn't have had otherwise. That was a light bulb moment for everybody involved of, oh, wow. this is interesting. Major donors can really create this win-win dynamic of tripling the impact of their existing giving. So they don't have to give more money. They just give the same amount of money in a different way. And nonprofits being able to realize that revenue 
and also, you know, adopt, you know, new technologies, which it's, uh, as you know, is hard for nonprofits to budget for and invest in, even when they're proven to uh, deliver a positive return. So, you know, we started working with more and more philanthropists who were interested in giving in this active sort of way and, you know, has really helped create this, this interesting dynamic and helped us have more impact for the organizations who are, are interested in adapting our technology. So how does it work on the back end? You know, once the investment is made, how do you get that 3X? What does that look like? Yeah, so how it works is we are very collaborative with our clients. And let me be clear, that gift, yeah, that goes to the nonprofit. It doesn't come to us and the nonprofit. You know, you, we are not a nonprofit entity. The nonprofit then spends it on our services. But we are very collaborative with our or with the clients we work with. Um, we always start off as a what we call a pilot program or a test. Mm-hmm. We want to be sure that our ask amounts are performing better than what they're doing today. So we'll figure out a test group, which will get the Arjuna and our services that that deliver those ask amounts are called Exact Ask. So that well, there's a test group that gets our Exact Ask services. We'll kind of do a head-to-head matchup against a similar group of donors over a period of time, and we will deliver our ask amounts after having ingested all the first-party data we have available that the nonprofit supplies to us. We take any sort of behavioral data, whether it's gift behavior, gift channel, so whether it's in how much they've given, where they've given, they've volunteered, uh, any social media engagement, really any data that, that any standard donor database or CRM has. We make our predictions, our ask rates, we deliver that to the nonprofit or their marketing agency. They put it into their kind of standard production cycle and they start putting these ask amounts into market and, and we track over a period of time because direct response fundraising is so measurable. Um, we can track every dollar coming in. We're able to see, and I, you if you're listening at home, you can't see this, but I'm using hand gestures for Catherine yes. here to show kind of what a what a line chart looks like over time, and over time, and over a couple of rounds of learning, where we've put out some some masquerades, we've gotten some inputs on terms of how the donors have responded. We always see a separation. So the 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 Arjuna Exact Ash treatment group uh, are always outperforms the control group, and we're always very pleased at that. And then we start talking with our clients about how do we expand our services to help them kind of recognize this this benefit across their entire donor file, uh, not just that test group. So I'm going to ask what I think others might be wondering. Mm -hmm. Are you designed to replace the annual fund? Ha! Absolutely not. No, we are a component to it. My my colleague is is Michael Goriaran. He's the president of Arjuna, and he always uses this analogy. Um, he's a carrot cake fan, so he, he talks about you have your carrot cake, you have you know your your icing. Um, we are just you know one layer of icing in the carrot cake. You have your whole your flour and your sugar and your cream cheese and, and all your other things. If you're not a carrot cake fan. I'm sorry for the, for the analogy, um, but the, the reality is, look, there's there's a whole level of work and effort that goes into an annual fund in all sorts of charities, and there's a huge amount of data that goes into it, a huge amount of contact strategy, 
you know, a lot of creative services that go into it. We are not in the business of writing the appeals of, you know, figuring out what images go into the appeals. That's potentially a future application of our services, but we don't do that today. Really what we're focused on is figuring out who to ask, how much to ask them and when to ask them. And so we are a input into that service, but we are not attempting to displace, you know, existing annual fund um, processes or, or methods. If anything, we're additive to the existing ecosystem and we work well with existing marketing partners, et cetera. Actually, you asked earlier, how did I come to Arjuna? Yeah. I mentioned I, I ran the, the nonprofit group at this agency called Merkel. And we work with clients like the Boys and Girls Club, actually, American Heart Association, American Cancer Society. Arjuna came in and pitched me on partnering with some of our clients. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And if you know about Merkel, you might know that it's pretty heavy in data and technology. We had just purchased a data science agency in India, for example, with several hundred data scientists. So Arjuna left the room and I turned to my data and technology team and I said, Guys, that's pretty interesting. AI that enables personalized ask arrays at scale that delivers, you know, 10% increase in revenue, three to one return. Let's just build that and cut them out of the picture um, because we have this, all this kind of data and technology firepower. We have this AI practice and we looked at it hard and, you know, they came back to me and said, no way, we can't do it. It's going to cost a huge amount of money. It's going to take us a really long time. Uh, it's patented, Arjuna services, so we'd have to figure out another way at it. And the way this combination of unsupervised machine learning and reinforcement learning works is that it gets smarter. The system gets smarter for every record it processes. They've been in market for five or six years. They've processed billions and billions of donor records and made billions of decisions. So we're never going to be able to catch up in terms of accuracy. And so there's an interesting actually dynamic, you know, I don't know if you know this, Microsoft Bing, you know, the, the search engine, you might yeah. not know. It actually has superior underlying technology to Google's search algorithm, but Google has so much more volume that mm -hmm. the predictions are so much more accurate. So it doesn't even matter what the underlying technology, you know, how how good it is if you don't have the volume. And our, okay. the way that Google has an insurmountable lead in accuracy and search predictions because of the volume, same thing about Arjuna in this space as well. Um, so, you know, they came to me. I went back to them, I should say, with my head between or my tail between my legs saying, okay, guys, let's let's test it on one of our clients. It's a major national health charity. Um, you've heard of them. And it had that same three to one return. That client is now in their fourth expansion contract with Arjuna. And I, it was a little bit of a, if you can't beat them, join them situation. The nonprofit came to you with a database of just a couple thousand people. Would you turn them away? Yeah, it's a great question. And it depends. The most important thing for us when we're evaluating this, you know, a partnership and what's a good fit, mm -hmm. is can, can we be effective for them? Can we help right. this nonprofit right. raise more money? And the way that I, I mentioned volume is very important, right? Volume helps our algorithms and our systems learn, get smarter, and make more and more accurate predictions. So if we don't have enough volume, 
to be able to get enough data inputs back to help feed back into our algorithms. Uh, it's hard for us to be super confident that we're going to be able to be uh, effective. So what we find is the minimum threshold for us from a volume perspective to ensure and have a high degree of confidence that we can be effective for our clients is about 80,000 solicitations per year. Now that doesn't mean you need to be have 80,000 donors, could mean that you have 8,000 donors with whom you communicate 10, 10 times a year. Right. 10 times eight equal, 8,000 equals 80. That's kind of how we look at it. Um, that makes sense. Is, is just to ensure that we have enough volume for our system to learn and be accurate. And so we find that 80,000 minimum solicitation level is, is that, that bar for us. Let's talk more about the algorithm. I'm so intrigued. You know, you've talked about the higher the volume, the better, and that makes sense. But can you give us some examples of the behavioral economics aspect, other, you know, public gifts that were made? What are other things yeah. that you look at? So we only almost exclusively use first party data that is owned by the nonprofit. So what that, okay. you know, I talked a little bit earlier about your relationship with Boys and Girls Club versus my relationship. The reality is the relationship that we have with the nonprofits, the organizations we support, whether it's a school that we attended or maybe a school that we didn't attend um, or a, a charity that we care about, is it's a highly personal, unique relationship. So we find that the most relevant data to use to inform how giving elasticity is, is the relationship and the data that has been generated based on your transaction history and your interactions with that specific organization. So let's take the Boys and Girls Club example. And we could say an analogous organization is Big Brothers, Big Sisters, right? So, somewhat similar. It's not exactly the same thing. Uh, or YMCA, some, something like that in the social health and human services or social services place. You know, a lot of other models out there will say, okay, if we're trying to figure out how to much to ask Boys and Girls Club donors, let's see what these individuals do at Big Brothers Big Sisters or with the YMCA or other similar organizations and pull that giving data in to see how that inform, because what you do with Big Brothers Big Sisters will inform what you do with Boys and Girls Club. We have found that to be completely false because your relationship with Boys and Girls Club is different than your relationship with Big Sisters. Mm. Maybe you were a mentor at Big Brothers Big Sisters and you're, you know, you just have a loose That's affiliation so with Boys and Girls Club. So if we pull in data of your interactions with other organizations, it actually makes our results worse. It's really, we, I just want to know what Catherine Van Sickle has done with that specific organization. I wanna know if you've been to a club, how you've donated to the Boys and Girls Club, uh, every interaction you've had with that, that institution and anything else that we pull in, whether it's a wealth score, whether it's your credit rating, whether it's other kind of you know uh, wealth indicators that are constantly pulled in for wealth screening sort of tools, those aren't relevant because you could be living, you know, you could maybe have a lower than average income, but Boys and Girls Club played an outsized impact or role in your life. And again, we're talking about mass market donors, right? Kind of yeah. below the $2,500 level. When you're talking 
above 10,000 that the, the, the calculus changes. But you could be earning below average you know, money and give above that what that you know, income would indicate normally because of the unique level of that relationship. That's why we really focused, laser focused on the donation data and relationship data that the nonprofit owns with mm -hmm. you in particular. The only outside data source we bring in is a little bit of US census data that gives us a, based on your zip code, which tells us, just gives us an indication of the economic vitality and vibrancy of your neighborhood. Um, but outside of that, we don't use any outside data sources, just what the nonprofit delivers to us. If you were to ask me what I thought, I would say that they, that comparison would be helpful. So I'm fascinated that you found it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's no, it's really it's, surprising. It's uh, yeah, well, it, it just goes down to, you know, and, and I know you work with, you personally work in, uh, you know, the education space. And when you think about, you know, somebody giving to your school versus a school that looks like yours, you know, the relationship people have with your school, or they probably went there or their kids went there. Oh, that's, right? that's and a it's good a, point. Yeah. And it's a highly personal relationship. Um, yeah. And if there's another school down the street, which has a similar, similar profile, you know, there's no relationship there. So why would I give to that school? Yeah, it's not that different when you think about it at a charity perspective. Now, of course, the Heart and Stroke uh, Association has some overlap in terms of donors with the American Heart Association and things like that. Right. But uh, the reality is people have unique relationships. And AI enables us to mine those relationships, understand those relationships at scale and figure out kind of the value that people, the monetary value people assign to those relationships. So you mentioned this term and I've heard it before. You talked about the nonprofit starvation cycle. This was yeah. before we had recorded. And I just wonder if you can tell us, can you define that for us and then tell us how Arjuna helps break that? You know, when you go to a donation, page for a nonprofit, oftentimes they have that little pie chart on it that shows 87% of every donation goes to programs, 5% goes to fundraising, and 8% goes to administration. And that 5% on fundraising and programs are deemed overhead. And that chart is supposed to make us feel really good about ourselves because it, you know, we're hardwired as human beings. We see a problem. We want to fix the problem. Maybe the problem is kids don't have a good place to go after school. So they get into trouble. So we want every dollar that we give to the Boys and Girls Club, we want as much of it as possible to go to you know, fund the clubs and the school programs for the kids. And actually nonprofits are incentivized to make that sliver of the, the, the pie chart as small as possible to, you know, there are watchdog groups out there who will actually reduce their rating if their expense ratio is off if they're you know shown to spend too much money on overhead and we are thought to think that those nonprofits that spend money on talent salaries for people on infrastructure on IT systems on nonprofit or on, excuse me on fundraising technology for example mm -hmm. um, we're incentivized or nonprofits are incentivized to not spend on it and we are hardwired as human beings to think that that's wasteful. 
But the reality is that that sliver of the pie, that overhead sliver, is what helps the pie become a lot bigger. If you can hire great talent away from the private sector who can create you know, new partnerships and help the organization grow and rally the troops, if you can invest in infrastructure that helps you know, more efficient service delivery and programmatic delivery, if you invest in fundraising technology like Arjuna that turns every dollar you know, spent on it into $3, that's how you increase the size of the pie. But this nonprofit starvation cycle, to come back to that term, is because they are incentivized or penalized, I should say, from investing in that, they're kind of proliferating this scarcity mindset where mm. nonprofits can't grow. They're, uh, you know, they can't grow to meet the, the ever-growing demand for their services because we kind of pillory them for every time they do invest in services and there's an expose on the front page of the New York Times for nonprofit, you know, uh, wasteful nonprofit spending. But could you imagine, Catherine, if Boys and Girls Club spent $5 million on an ad during the Super Bowl? Can you imagine how much they would be roasted for that, for wasteful spending? But you, could you yeah. also imagine the brand awareness that they would get and the fundraising right. they would wreck? Like, that'd be interesting. Right. Coca-Cola can do that. Uh, Microsoft can do that. But then organization trying to, you know, create a better environment for our youth can't do that. Now, and that's the question. Why not? That's a really good example. So yeah. what we do at Arjuna is we help donors break that nonprofit starvation cycle by, you know, through that story I told earlier, by investing in our services, by making a gift of our services, we make it easier for nonprofits to invest in themselves to invest in their own growth, to have more resources to deliver more mission. I want to talk about direct mail for a minute. You know, that's a, a huge part of your business model. Yeah, it, it is the business model is working through direct mail. We've learned so much, of course, over the last two years about how to get in touch with donors. And I think there has been a sentiment that direct mail is perhaps on the way out. How would you argue with that? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, when I first started working closely with direct mail, it was almost a decade ago, and you know, it's like, oh, this, you know, this is tired, this is dead. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. Look, there's about 13 billion, give or take a billion pieces of direct mail that are sent every year. Tens and hundreds of billions of dollars are raised through direct mail every year. Yes, giving through online, it continues to be an important part of any direct response fundraising uh, effort. And there's always going to be great innovation about that. And I'm excited about, you know, to continue to see what that looks like, whether it's cryptocurrency or using NFTs, or you know, there's a lot of interesting executions of that. Um, but the reality is, we have, you know, filters on our email, right, that filter out, you know, fundraising yeah. messages, or you can unsubscribe from text, but with a piece of direct mail, like it or not, you pick it up, you look at it, even if you're throwing it away or putting it in the recycling, there's a 15 second walk from your mailbox to the recycling bin, where you are looking at this thing, maybe you open it, um, and that has a real place in our lives and in their increasingly digitized lives, a thing you can touch, um, a thing that you can feel, a thing that uh, you 
know, uh, you can't ignore that's mm -hmm. sitting on your kitchen counter for a couple of days. Um, it, it really has resonance and it's huge business. These nonprofits, you know, I know national health charities that raise 40, $50 million a year through direct mail. It's some of those numbers are shrinking, but not by a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, maybe it's going from 50 million to 49.8 million year over year. You know, it demands our attention. I have a bunch of pieces sitting on my desk at home. I feel like I want I'm to sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, you know, people put a lot of work into those. Yeah, they do. Uh, I'll tell you, spend a lot of time on them. And, you know, they know not everyone's going to respond, but the engagement rate rates with direct mailer is actually a lot higher than on email just because email is so uh, disposable at this point. Well, Colin, thank you for explaining all of this and really bringing up some some interesting, thoughtful arguments. I've really enjoyed it. And I would love to end with my signature question, which is what do you know for sure? First off, uh, thank you, Catherine, for the time and congratulations on the show. What I know for sure is that we as human beings care about each other and want to help each other and are generous. You know, that's something that I'm always inspired by and I'm excited by, and I'm excited to work in this business to help tap into that generous spirit. Thank you so much, Colin. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Next week, we'll be launching a partnership with Case. This is a month-long mini-series where the debrief will be featuring four independent school leaders. Over the next month, we will hear from directors of advancement at independent schools, culminating in a webinar at the end of May. I can't wait to share this with you, and I hope you'll connect on Instagram and LinkedIn and be part of the conversation as we explore one of the slices of the philanthropic pie. See you next week.